0: life audio
1: faith over fear is brought to you by life audio and is part of our faith toolkit series for more inspirational faith-affirming podcasts visit us at lifeaudio.com
0: hello and welcome to the faith over fear podcast where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth. Because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We are passionate about helping God's children live in freedom. We would love to chat with you online or on social media. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and today's episode is part two of last week's discussion On finding the courage to love those who are hard to love. Most of us do not like conflict or emotional discomfort, which can make it challenging to reach out to or walk beside those who are maybe distrustful, rough around the edges, easily set off. And I think this is to a large extent because our interactions with them tend to prick our insecurities and our pride. Although I would suggest that our pride often stems from fear as well. The fear that if we don't elevate or defend ourselves, then we won't have significance. Or maybe that someone will take advantage of us. Because here's what I've found. When we're securely anchored in the love and grace of Christ, and when we understand who we are to Him and in Him, we're not so concerned with how others view us. We're also better able to recognize what is and isn't ours to own, or maybe to phrase it differently, to establish and maintain healthy boundaries. Last week, we talked about remaining powered up, the importance of praying before, during, and after potentially difficult encounters, and also of asking others to pray for us. We also discussed the benefits of learning to hit pause in the middle of conversations to pray. I usually will excuse myself to the restroom, which gives me about, I don't know, 10 minutes to seek God's heart and perspective. And then finally, we talked about using every encounter as a learning opportunity. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so. I had a special guest, Matt Massiera from Be Bold Street Ministries. To expand further on the idea of using every encounter as a learning opportunity, I like to choose one goal to focus on, one specific goal, one specific way I can improve in my interactions rather than, than 10. If I set up too many goals, that will set me up for failure, for guilt, for potentially self-condemnation. That is not helpful. I like to focus on baby steps, progress, not perfection. So if we handle a conversation better today, than we have similar situations in the past, that's a win, regardless of how much better we did. We should celebrate every time we take a step forward. And when we kind of slip backwards and maybe give in to old behavior patterns, we confess that to Jesus. We apologize to the person. We ask God to show us why we responded the way we did, And then we course correct for the next time. Again, focusing on progress, not perfection. And that's what it means to live in grace. And that is so, so freeing. That's transformative, really. God's grace empowers us to live in love like him. And as Psalm 145, verse 8 states, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love love. So that's the type of love that we are called to display. Imitating the love of Christ means responding to the prideful with humility, the angry with gentleness, and the imperfect, maybe even occasionally thoughtless, with grace. We cannot love like Jesus apart from Jesus, which is why our actions, when surrendered to him, can provide such powerful evidence for the gospel. Loving like Jesus takes strength, it takes self-control, and it takes courage. And like I said last week, our greatest challenges stem from our fears and insecurities. At least that's my experience. Often, we're afraid of getting hurt. We're afraid of someone taking advantage of us. We're afraid of getting sucked into someone else's drama or dysfunction, which is ultimately a question of healthy boundaries. The hard truth is, if we love like Jesus, without condition, without reservation, we will get hurt on occasion. The beautiful thing, however, is that we can trust God to use our pain for our good and his glory. When our family first started opening our home to kids from rough places, numerous people said, wow, I could never do that. What if, what if they move to another home? What if they return to their parents and, and you don't get to see them anymore? I would get too attached. I just couldn't do that. Translation, I'm afraid of being hurt. I'd rather not love than love and get hurt. I think our greater fear should be developing a hardened and self-protecting heart, the type of heart that sees those who are hurting and then turns the other way. When my daughter was growing up, I so longed to protect her from pain. But had I made that my ultimate goal, I have no doubt her growth would have been stunted and she'd be nowhere near the compassionate, strong, giving young woman that she's become. My role as her mom, as her coach and guide, wasn't to shelter her from every potential hardship, but instead to help her gain the strength and the perspective that she would need to stay strong, to exhibit godly confidence, no matter what she encountered. And that's how God trains us as well. He wants us to become so filled with the love, the grace, the confidence of Christ that we're not knocked down by the actions of others. The offenses we suffer, they'll sting, absolutely, but they won't settle deep into our hearts, hindering our mission or our godly confidence. Learning to view ourselves through Christ's eyes, that's a process for sure. And in my experience, it's one that usually begins with introspection. Introspection, prayer, and often deep healing. Now, before I get too far, I do want to say, if the person that you find hard to love, if they're a family member, maybe an in-law, you might have a history of hurt to unpack, to process, to potentially talk through and to heal from. If the other person isn't willing or emotionally and spiritually mature enough to talk things through, then I suggest walking through all that with Christ. Well, I suggest walking through all our hurts with him regardless as he's the only one who really sees things clearly, including why certain hurts hurt us so deeply and particular behaviors cause our muscles to clench. He knows what's really going on within us. But keep in mind, if you have an unpleasant tense or painful history with an individual, that will make everything harder for you and more confusing. So give yourself grace and and just lean into Jesus and follow his lead. One night a while ago, after I'd finished speaking at a woman's retreat, one of the ladies, she approached me to discuss a family member that she'd been struggling with. It was an in-law. And she really wanted to show this individual the love and the grace of Christ, but she had such intense feelings for the person. I hate her, she said, almost wincing when she said it. And I could tell that she felt guilty about about this. And later that night, as I lay in bed, and I was just kind of contemplating our discussion, I had this strong sense that what the woman was feeling wasn't actually hate, that she was probably reacting out of hurt. And so the next morning, when I saw her again, I revisited our conversation. And I asked her, I I basically verified if my perception was correct. I asked her if she thought maybe that she'd been hurt in the past And that therefore every conversation with this particular individual was not only a new hurt because stuff was still going on, but also triggered some of those still open wounds from her past. The woman, she started to tear up and and she nodded. And as we just kind of discussed things further, she verbalized things I'm not sure she had even been fully aware of before. How certain behaviors and comments had made her feel and why those things cut so deeply. Well, I encouraged her to share her feelings with the individual. Whether or not she chose to do so, I'm certain she was more self-aware in future conversations with that person and more cognizant as to how her insecurities impacted her perceptions. And hopefully she saw it as an opportunity to seek healing with Christ and to, to really replace those insecurities with truths regarding who she was in him. When I feel a gut reaction rising up within me, whether that's pride or defensiveness or maybe a desire to lash out, I'm learning to seek God's wisdom regarding why. Although I'm not always so great at hitting pause in the middle of my reaction, I do try to take time later to process I like to find a quiet place, which is usually my bedroom, and I'll often turn on some praise music, so I like to just kind of get myself in a worshipful place where I can sense God's presence, and then I close my eyes, and I simply rest in His love for a moment or two, and I ask Him to search deep within my heart to reveal those things that only He can see that caused me to behave a certain way. And he's been so so faithful. Most of the time I discover that my reaction came from a wound that I hadn't fully healed from, a lie that I haven't fully expelled with truth, and a failure to fully anchor my identity in Jesus. And I'm going to suggest that most of your most intense reactions have similar roots. We cannot love like Jesus commands unless our identities are firmly grounded in him. We must know who and whose we are. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Now, I share this next story in Holy Love's Becoming His Princess Bible study in week one's video, which I'll I'll share that in the show notes. But when my daughter was in high school, some of the teenage boys, they began calling her Ashley Sluttery. And when she told me about this, my inner mama bear, it immediately sprang to the surface. But she like she wasn't. She wasn't really that affected. She just kind of gave me this strange look. And she said, Mom, I don't care. That's the stupidest thing someone could say. So in other words, the boy's statements, they didn't really affect her because she knew they weren't valid. She was a pure, honorable young lady who was actively trying to live for Christ. She was far from, from a slut, as these boys were teasing her to imply. And therefore, she was able to just like disregard their statements. Other comments, other teasing, however, those that pricked at her insecurities, those lies that she already believed about herself, those statements she found more challenging to shrug off. And the same is true for us, which means our reactions can reveal places where we've adopted a false identity, and therefore our reactions can, we can view them as growth and healing opportunities. Consider how Jesus lived and loved. He was confident in who he was, in where he came from, in what he was called to do, and where he was ultimately going. And that confidence allowed him to love humbly and sacrificially. In John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, we read, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, some of us have heard this passage so many times, the passage about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, that we can easily miss its significance. But this would have been the equivalent of having the President of the United States over for dinner, or perhaps the Queen of England, only to have them get up, go outside, grab the pooper scooper, and pick up all the dog mess in your backyard, or or maybe to scrub out your nasty curbside trash can. And as I contemplate this scene, just what Jesus did, and as I contemplate it through John, the author's eyes, verses 1 and 3 really stand out to me. Scripture says Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then in verse 3, we're told Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So in other words, he knew who he was. He was secure in his relationship with the Father, and he knew and remained focused on his mission. And that's where our confidence and courage to love well will come from as well. From our identity in Christ, the love we receive from him, our relationship with him, and a clear understanding of our calling. You and I have nothing to prove. I want to say that again. You and I have nothing to prove. We're held secure in Christ and we're chosen and empowered by him. We are beloved sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That knowledge, when fully grasped, allows us to hold our heads up high in any and every situation. I want to be so focused on my calling that I don't let anything or anyone dissuade or defeat me. You may have heard the verse or a paraphrase of it from Galatians 1, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul wrote, Am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Or as Proverbs 29, verse 25 states, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of mankind of someone's rejection, retaliation, or disapproval, it traps us in a cycle of anxiety and insecurity, which in turn leads to inauthentic living and a decreased ability to hear God. And this just leads to more anxiety. We can begin to lose ourselves, who we were created and are called to be, and therefore we can forfeit the life that God has planned for us. Because we begin to make decisions based on our insecurities and the opinions or behaviors of others rather than in obedience to God. When we seek to follow wholeheartedly however God leads, saturated by his acceptance, his love, and his grace, we grow increasingly confident and effective. We become life-giving, light-bearing instruments of change. I want to get better at shaking off rejection whenever it comes. And I just love that visual of of like shaking off an offense. And it comes from Matthew chapter 10. And God used that passage in particular to speak to me during a challenging time when I felt really insecure in ministry. So to paraphrase, one day Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs to share God's truth throughout Israel. And they weren't supposed to take anything with them, no provisions for their journey, no silver or gold to pay for lodging, which means they were to rely completely on the generosity of the people they encountered for food and a place to stay. And all the introverts listening probably just felt their stomachs drop, right? Like I... I understand how challenging this must have been. As a ministry leader, to keep my ministry up and running, I have to engage in a certain amount of fundraising. And I got to tell you, it's always super challenging. And so I can just imagine how these disciples must have felt approaching Strangers saying, hey, look, can I stay with you for a bit? Can I join you for dinner? Now, granted, the disciples were ultimately relying on God, their provider, but he was going to provide for them through others while they were evangelizing them. And while it was customary for people to house traveling rabbis, these men were tax collectors, zealots, and fishermen. They were far from the religious or social elite. And yet, they were called and commissioned by their creator. They were sent out by the Messiah, by God's son himself. That was a crucial truth for them to hold on to, especially when they weren't well received. In that case, Jesus told them to, quote, let their peace unquote, return to them. So referring to this phrase, the late Bible commentator Albert Barnes wrote, this is a Hebrew mode of saying that your peace shall not come upon it. It is a mode of speaking derived from bestowing a gift. If people were willing to receive it, they derived the benefit from it. If not, then of course the present came back or remained in the hand of the giver. So Christ figuratively speaks of The peace which their labor would confer. If received kindly and hospitably by the people, they would confer on them most valuable blessings. If rejected and persecuted, the blessings which they sought for others would come upon themselves. They would reap the benefit of being cast out and persecuted for their master's sake. So not only would they be blessed despite the rejection they received, but they would be blessed because of it. In other words, God sees the way people treat us, and he will reward every loving act done in obedience and faith. Now, Jesus continued in verse 14, stating, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. So don't carry that rejection with you. Don't allow that person's poor behavior to negatively impact your calling. Shake it off. And that applies to us as well. When we reach out to others and they treat our kindness with contempt, we need to learn to shake it off. I know that's not easy, but it does get easier with time, especially if we're diligent about controlling our thought life. That's imperative. We can perceive every encounter as a personal rejection or as the individual's rejection of God, not us. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean we're to grab a big megaphone and, and beat everyone with the truth. And in fact, Jesus told his disciples in this same passage to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent, or some translation state, as harmless as doves. So shrewd as snakes, wise and strategic with our words and our actions, but harmless, gentle, calming even in how we apply that wisdom. And recognize this, we will encounter wolves. We will encounter people who maybe want to hurt us. And we need to remain cognizant of that so that we won't feel caught off guard or sideswiped when people act ugly. Now, this passage, it also encourages us to remain prepared, strategic, to remember our calling and who called us. But notice also that Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs. He didn't tell any of them to walk out their assignments, their callings, alone. And this is significant because he'd already given them all the power they needed to do all that he had asked. As verse 1 stated, he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So they have been commissioned and fully empowered by God, and yet they still needed one another. And so do we. Which means when we sense God calling us to something, we need to find our allies. We need someone we can link arms with, who can encourage us when we're discouraged, who can remind us of truth when our insecurities threaten to hold us back. Someone who speaks words of comfort when those we're seeking to reach out to retaliate or behave in hurtful ways. And most of the time, the people that seem to kind of be retaliating against us, they're They're not really fighting against us. They're fighting against Christ in us. During my daughter's junior and senior years in high school, she had multiple classes with one student in particular who vacillated between acting like she wanted to become friends and acting super super mean, and my daughter was confused and and insightful and isn 't that how we are in similar situations we 'll have kind of our, our wisdom and, and then we 'll have moments of confusion. God will give us spiritual insight into a situation, and we believe the truth he 's led us to, but in our humanness, we can still wrestle with doubt and uncertainty. And what confused my daughter most was the fact that this other student didn't act this way, wasn't quite so so mean, so hostile with anyone else. I don't get it, my daughter said. I mean, I can tell she's really hurting, but she's not this way with anyone else. Why does she hate me so much? She doesn't hate you, I replied. She's reacting to the light within you. So in other words, the girl was experiencing some intense spiritual wrestling where at times she was drawn to the light of Christ, but at other times she was repelled by it because it was convicting her. It was revealing things in her that that she either didn't want to acknowledge or she didn't want to deal with. And I've seen that push-pull behavior in so many people. They're drawn to the hope and love that we display, the hope and love of Christ within us, but they're afraid to trust it. They want relationship, but their fear of rejection causes them to hide behind walls and hurtful behavior. Many times they push us away because they're afraid. They're afraid if we get too close, we're gonna see them for who they really are, who they believe they are, and they're afraid that we'll declare them insufficient. And deficient because that's how they feel. In their fear and their woundedness, they do the rejecting first. The people we encounter, they are not our enemies, none of them. We do have an enemy, absolutely, but so do they. We have the same enemy, in fact, and those people who seem so angry or defensive, they're Satan's victims. They're casualties in a spiritual war. Our fight isn't against other people. Scripture makes it clear it's against the forces of evil that are wreaking havoc in our world, in our communities, in our families, in our marriages, and the destruction. It is extensive, but you and I are on the A-team. We're part of God's rescue mission. When we recognize that, including how enslaved non-believers are, we become filled with compassion as Jesus himself was. The Bible tells us one day towards the end of Jesus's ministry, as he approached Jerusalem, he wept and said in Matthew 23 verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and, and you were not willing. Now that's such a tender, almost maternal analogy, to scoop them under his protective wing, to shelter them like a mother hen does her defenseless chicks, adding in Luke chapter 19 verses 41 to 42, if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Now keep in mind, this was the city, Jerusalem, In which Jesus would soon be crucified. It was filled with people who prior to his execution would be shouting, crucify him. Jesus knew how those people would soon treat him. He knew the hate driven mob that would soon cry out for his death. And yet their rejection didn't bruise his confidence. It didn't offend him. It grieved him for their sakes. Because he clearly saw the root of their behavior. He knew they were enslaved to sin. He knew the life and the freedom he was calling them to. And he was deeply saddened by the depth and the strength of their deception, their slavery. May we view everyone who doesn't know Jesus with that same compassion and grace. And may our compassion motivate us to reach out with the love of Jesus in a way that reveals the wholeness, the emotional and spiritual health that he calls us to, modeling what healthy interactions and relationships look like. So that means that necessitates establishing and maintaining healthy boundaries. And that is super, super important in all relationships. But when we're reaching out to those from hard places and dysfunctional upbringings, especially Years ago, I was leading a very unhealthy group, one with zero boundaries that seemed to thrive on and create drama. And they had a tendency to pull others into their chaos. And I found myself getting sucked in. They were blowing up my phone, my email inbox, my messenger with quote unquote emergencies that truly weren't emergencies And at first I tried to respond to each and every message, but then I realized I wasn't managing my other responsibilities well. I wasn't managing them well at all. So I began copying and pasting a message that said something to the effect of I'll be responding to my messages on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons. That was not well received. One person in particular, reading my words through some pretty deep wounds from her past, took my response as a personal rejection. And actually that happened often. There were numerous times when I established healthy boundaries that people in the group got really upset because they took them as a personal attack. And then I felt guilty, like I was being unkind and unloving by stating what I could not couldn't, would and wouldn't do, especially because I understood that the people's angry and hostile retorts came from places of woundedness. I, I realized that they were processing my words through their feelings of insignificance and insufficiencies, and I, and I felt compassion for that. Overwhelmed and confused, I reached out to an older woman who had once helped lead this particular group, and her response made such sense. When someone is drowning, she said, you don't jump into the waves with them. You pull them onto the solid rock. You're standing on the solid rock of Christ. Pull them onto the rock of Christ. So in other words, I wouldn't help these people establish and maintain healthy boundaries by tossing mine. But by holding firmly to my boundaries, however, I could model what healthy interactions and relationships looked like. Something these individuals maybe never had witnessed or experienced prior. And this goes back to viewing every interaction as a learning experience. Through each challenging encounter, it was like God was shining a flashlight on the weaknesses, on the insecurities and the sinful tendencies within me. Areas in need of growth that I might not have seen otherwise. When, when we're kind of in a pressure cooker, the, the gunk within us begins to rise up, allowing us to deal with all that gunk with Jesus. So that means, as stressful as that period was, God used it for such good to create beauty within me, and hopefully to point the individuals I serve toward the abundant, the whole, and free life that he offers. Now, if you struggle with setting and maintaining boundaries, and I think that's a challenging skill for a lot of us, I encourage you to listen to episode 23 titled, The Courage to Set Healthy Boundaries. In it, I share more regarding what relational boundaries look like, along with some ways we can increase our courage in that area for the sake of our relationships and for the sake of everyone we serve. And really in all of these situations, I want to become a better student. I want to remain curious and alert, observant, prayerful. I want to learn to see others, their heart, their challenges, their ill-adaptive coping mechanisms, which some might call manipulative tendencies. I want to see all of that through Christ's eyes. Well, thank you for listening. If you're looking for extra support. I encourage you to join Holy Love's private Faith Over Fear Facebook group and also to subscribe to my 30 Days of Fighting Fear with Faith email list. I send subscribers 30 daily, while daily excluding Sundays, short and encouraging messages designed to help you grow in the confidence of Christ. So message me through my website if you would like me to add you to that list. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, then you won't miss a single episode. And make sure to share it with your friends. That can be just a great way to help them walk in the freedom of Christ as well. It would encourage me and my team if you would rate this podcast, and that also helps others to find it. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com.
0: Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on LifeAudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.